On the Empire Podcast this week, we discuss Brave and The Bourne Legacy, the two big films that are set to greet us on the other side of the Olympics. We have the usual mix of movie news, reviews, and general nonsense, and we're graced by the presence of movie magazine royalty. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast, the movie podcast that came away from the London Olympics with a record haul of 14 gold medals, two silvers, four bronze, eight adamantium, and 17 Unobtainium. Wow. I know, that's that impressive. That was pretty good going. Pretty good going. As ever, I'm joined by three members of the Empire Relay team. First up is a multitasking all-rounder, as at home discussing the movies of Joss Whedon, as she is the movies of Nathan Fillion. It's our very own Jessica Ennis. Helen O'Hara, how are you? I am very well. I resent being compared to Jessica Ennis, given that my abs are clearly better than hers, but, uh, <laughs> but otherwise it's fine. Fair <laughs> enough. Uh, then making his first appearance for quite a while is a brash young pup, whose opinions are formed so quickly they can leave older critics gasping for breath is our very own Bradley Wiggins Sir Ali Plum Hello uh, And last but definitely not least given this guy the big build up is a, is a man who is Empire Royalty a man who's accrued more awards than Chris Hoy has gold medals a man who pays my wages so I've been practising hard at the old 200 metres genuflection please put your hands together and salute the legend that is the editor of Empire Mr Mark Dinning Hello. Hello. Very good. <laughs> yeah. Very. I'm glad you took my rewrites on board. Thank you. Thank you we will be much. discussing pay rises later on. <laughs> Mark, this is the 23rd podcast. What's kept you? Um, I've been busy. Uh, I've been doing really fascinating things. I've been doing some pie charts, some budget meetings. Um, <laughs> I did go on a jolly to Bangkok. Sorry, I went on a very important set visit to Bangkok. Uh, a world exclusive, only God forgives. It was, jolly that, set visit. That was an amazing set visit. Really, yeah. properly amazing. It was a kind of. It wasn't an official set visit. Nicholas Winding Refn invited us out, so it was a proper hanging out with Gosling and Eva Mendes in a bikini. Very nice. Oh wow. Really stunning. Did you step yeah. up to the plate with some speedos? Uh, no, thankfully for everyone involved, no, I didn't. But that, I tell you what, that movie does look properly amazing. Most yeah. exciting movie next year for me. It's just been given a date in Denmark. Oh, right. Of okay. April. <laughs> oh, okay. Which is, which is a good thing. So that'll be on our radar very, very soon, I imagine. Yeah, no, it looks amazing. If you think Drive was mental, you <laughs> ain't seen nothing yet. Grotesquely violent? Uh, hideously so. <laughs> Exploding heads, chopped off limbs, bits, bobs, hammers, everything. They probably did that just for you. It's probably like a really... Gentle, <laughs> yeah, it's actually drama. a rom-com. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Denning's coming. Get out the gore bags. <laughs> okay, so it's uh, time to take some questions now via the mediums of Twitter, Facebook, and email. Uh, the first one isn't a question per se, but we got a lovely message from Tabitha Moon via uh, Facebook. It reads, in your most recent issue, that's the one on sale now, all good news agents, and, of course, the iPad edition, in Five Things with Patrick Stewart, he mentions the two nerds he engaged at a con. That was my husband and I. I don't know if there's any way to convey how much it meant to us, but we have your magazine to thank for finding out it meant something to him as well. So thank you. Aww. Oh, that's lovely, isn't it? That's great. That's very nice. Tear in the eye stuff. I know. It's amazing. Amazing what Empire can do. It reminds me, actually, do you remember um, MovieCon, was it MovieCon 3? Yep. A couple of years ago where this guy proposed to his now wife, I presume. Uh, they're about to get married. They're about to get married. Yeah. yeah. Mark Tensuko and do you know his wife, his girlfriend's name? Sedge. Sedge. name? I never pronounced his name. Sedge. 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 Oh, wow. Okay. She's just had a hen do. I know this. Bizarrely. How do you know this? Because you we're were friends on Facebook. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I like them a lot. They were great. That was a that was a great moment. That was fantastic. That was fantastic. I met him actually again recently on the set of uh, Cuban Fury uh, and where he's a runner and uh, Nick Frost's double. Get out. I know, small world. Very yeah. weird. I know, indeed. Uh, so, via Twitter, at Lee Alex asks a question I can't believe it's taken this long to ask, frankly, because we're 23 episodes in. Uh, it is, who would be your ultimate dream dinner party guests, dead or alive? I presume movie-related guests. So that rules out Hitler. Um, 
So, <laughs> who would otherwise be top of your top list? of my list? Obviously, <laughs> he, he does, does a, great, a lot he, of questions yeah, to answer. He to does be a, fair. He, he'd be a great bratwurst and strudel kind of guy. It'd be very easy to cook for. Uh, um, so, vegetarian. Yes, is he? Yeah. Is, I mean, was he? He was. Really? No wonder he's so angry. So, Helen, who would you be, who would be your dream dinner party guest? Oh gosh, um, um, I'm not sure actually. Uh, I'd probably want somebody you know, intelligent, witty, funny. Um, oh, also, sparkle. anyone around this table? Well, you know, and I, I need them to make up for me. So, um, <laughs> I, I would probably go for the likes of I've said these kind of names before, but people like Billy Wilder. Uh, I think Matt Damon maybe bring a bit of politics into it. Okay, interesting. Uh, Mark, who would you have? You know who I'd go for? I'd go for Arjur Argento. Just because she is the most barking woman I've ever... And I like barking women, and she really is properly barking. And I interviewed her for Triple X ages ago, and she was just great. Best interview you'll ever get. It won't really? make any sense. Really? You transcribe it back, it won't make any sense, but it'll be a brilliant hour of your time. And she was, yeah, she was just amazing, loads of fun. And she could bring a dad as well, because I'm a big, big fan of his. Oh, that'd be good. Be a bit difficult to converse with him. He doesn't speak much English, does he? No, well, he fell asleep last time we interviewed him, didn't he? he nodded <laughs> yeah, off. Yeah. It was Adam Smith interviewing him. He didn't like the question, so he just fell asleep. <laughs> so between that, his crazy daughter and him asleep at the table, it could all go, it could all kick off. That'd be amazing, but like the worst episode of Come Down with me. <laughs> yeah. Walls covered in blood. Uh, Ali, who would you have? Uh, mine, I, I have thought about this a lot in my life. It would be Woody Allen, Nora Ephron, and uh, Quentin Tarantino. I think no one would get a word in edgeways between everyone else, but I think that'll be fine. I'd be okay with that. That'd be pretty cool. I just leave my dictaphone on the table and then leave. <laughs> <laughs> Come back and go, Jeff Hunt, good, all right. Uh, okay. Woody uh, Allen likes his pudding. He does, does he? Okay. Does top, he? Top tip. Always has his pudding. That's why his junkets are always late. I, don't know, I know a few people who've done junkets with him. Drives everyone out the wall. He eats his main course really slowly and then always insists on pudding. <laughs> so your interview's always going to be late with him. See, this is why... Like, we'll, like this, an apple pie. I'm huh. taking notes now. This is why the big man is here. There you go. This is it. Top uh, trivia. I would bring... Uh, I would only have one guest. It would be Mr. Creosote from The Meaning of Life. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be fun. At Kemalino asks, something related to Bob Hoskins, sad retirement. This is the news of Broken Wednesday. Very, very sad news that Bob Hoskins is suffering from Parkinson's disease, that, that terrible illness that Michael J. Fox also has. Um, and he is retiring from acting with immediate effect. And we did a nice tribute to Monday on the website. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of his best movie moments, as chosen by our Twitter followers. Yes, they fact. were. Yeah. And thank you for those. Indeed. Uh, and uh, Kemalino's question is related to other actors who retired too early, either forcibly or not. My vote, says Kemalino, is Cary Grant. Yeah. Who wouldn't have wanted him to keep going as long as humanly possible? Absolutely. Or perhaps superhumanly possible. How early did he retire? He must have been, was he in his 60s? Yeah. Maybe in early 70s. I think the problem was at that age, he was appearing in films where he was still the love interest for much, much younger women. And in Sherrod, it was pushing it. And I think he just kind of went, you know what? I've had a great run. Uh, see you guys and he did speeches uh, at the Oscars for a couple of people like mm-hmm. after retiring and so he's still part of the community mm. and they're great to see they're on YouTube uh, so check them out it's very rare for this to actually happen that, that an actor retires there's that old cliche it's like acting is in your blood you keep doing it until they basically haul you off the, the stage Peter O'Toole retired recently mm-hmm. uh, I don't think we really made enough of that in the podcast uh, a legend and it, the, the, the sad thing about Peter O'Toole retiring is that it seems to be because the roles dried up that the the enthusiasm wasn't there from from him because he wasn't it wasn't being reciprocated in terms of quality of scripts. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of get it to be honest. I'm gutted Connery doesn't do it anymore, but at the same yeah. time, he lives in a massive house in the Bahamas and plays golf all day. I'm kind of with him on it. Really. <laughs> Precisely. I'd I'd love him to come back, but if I was Sean Connery, I'm not sure I would. Do you know? 
Didn't he do some voice work for that Scottish? Um, was it a stop motion or th- uh, CGI? Yes, he, oh, uh, did, he? he did. He, he yeah. probably did it from the golf course to be. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, in between shots. Um, uh, he, uh, yeah, he sees the voiceover work for uh, a Scottish film which has yet to be uh, released called Sir Billy. Uh, and uh, I had a weird dream last night that I was emailing the producer about about that. No, honestly, seriously, this is genuine. I uh, I had a dream where I was emailing the producer, <laughs> going, "Can we get worst dream? I know. Honestly, I dream. I dream about emails. Uh, you know, and the emails never work out well. They're not, they're not sexy emails. It's just emails where I get rejected for interviews about Sean Connery. <laughs> dreadful, dreadful. But yeah, he's, that's going to come out at some point in the next uh, year or so, I'd imagine. And then, of course, there's Gene Hackman. I mean, yeah, that's who I was going to say. Yeah, you know, who um, whose last film is Welcome to Mooseport, uh, which is a which is a real shame. If he'd just gone one film back, I think it would have been Royal Tenenbaums. But no, he did Welcome to Mooseport instead, and he retired. And I interviewed him a couple of years ago for for Empire because he's now a novelist. I didn't know this at the time, but he he retired uh, due to ill health. He was advised, he had a heart problem and he was advised not to do any more acting. Um, but I know there's a lot of people out there, a lot of uh, writers and directors who are still trying to get him and Connery back in the horse. So maybe there could be a project for the two of them. I don't know, some sort of wild a bunch type thing where they, you know, two you, people you have to come out of retirement. I could have sworn you were about to say wild hogs. Wild hogs, <laughs> yes. That would be amazing. Just to hear Connery <laughs> saying hogs <laughs> would be astonishing. I'd love to see that. I guess it must, I mean, it must be difficult when you get to a, not an age, but a point in your career where you want to keep working, you want to keep being in the kind of co- public consciousness, I guess, but at the same time, you don't want to, for the point of a better word, piss on your legend. You know, if you've built mm. up this crazy, you know, amazing, if you look at Woody Allen, you know, he keeps producing the movies and the latest one, by all accounts, I haven't seen it, is, is good, is mm. really good, much better than the last ones, but you kind of, part of you wants him to keep churning him out, part of you wants him to stop, calm down and, and put out a good one every three years instead of three every year or whatever, whatever it is, but yeah, I, I don't know. He can't stop. He's addicted. There's, there's no way yeah. he can stop. He, uh, if he's not making a movie, he's playing jazz, and then he goes to make a movie. So, well, that's the thing. But you know, to, to further illustrate my point about Peter O'Toole, for example, I mean, this is a guy who was Lawrence of Arabia, and one of his last films is Catherine of Alexandria, which is, I imagine, not really the same thing on the same scale. So you can, you can imagine why he did that. But it was obviously with Bob Hoskins, it's, a, it's a different thing. It's a, retiring for medical reasons. I mean, Parkinson's is a horrible disease. It took my grandmother, and it, it's just very, very sad. And we wish him all the best. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, so, at Asman1984 asks, if Expendables 2 makes enough money to warrant a third film, who would use want to appear in Expendables 3? Uh, Gene Hackman and Sean Connery. <laughs> <laughs> Job done. Done, sold, moving on. The brilliantly named at Mrs. Pancakes asks, which movie is the most underrated one of this year so far? Ooh. Mark, let's start with you in this one. Mm. You can't say only God forgives. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's Absolutely. I'm trying to think what I've seen this year. Um, Batman, that was massively underrated. Um, <laughs> I thought that was very good. Uh, um, um, I'll tell you one, while I, while I peruse this question, I'll tell you one that was I was devastated by. Later, I'm sure we'll talk about The Bourne Legacy, which I didn't see yeah. last night, because last night I watched Piranha 3 Double D at home on DVD. <laughs> now, that, if that was rated at all, I'd, it was still overrated. That is one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. I hated the first one, so I, I've, I've consciously avoided the second you see, one. see, I like the first I mean, the first one for Crassery. I am a big fan of Kelly Brook. That bit was great in the first one. I like him. Marjorie as a director. He's fun. Yeah. This one's just got no redeemable factors whatsoever. <laughs> so I, I, you know, I didn't go and see Bourne because I watched Piranha 3 Double D. Oh. Um, and other things, I'm very much looking forward to Sightseers, which I still haven't seen. I'm oh, seeing tonight. Is, can't wait. It's brilliant. I think Kill List is genius, and I yeah. can't wait to see it. Yeah, it is. It is fantastic. 
I'm tempted to say John Carter for this question. I liked it, yeah. and I think mm. it was not so much that it was underrated. If if it had been, you know, if everyone had kind of come out and gone, well, it had flaws, but it was all right. I think I would have been happy. I think it was more the pe- the line of people lining up to kick it. It in turned the nuts. into a massive pylon, didn't it? Yeah, it was was <laughs> completely unwarranted by the quality of the film. So that would be the one for me. I'm looking through my list of films of the year that I have on my phone because I'm anal. Um, uh, no emails from the producer Sir Billy yet, sadly. <laughs> uh, I uh, this is embarrassing, but I actually quite liked uh, the Stath in Safe, and I kind of got a bit. I like Safe. Yeah, Safe yeah. was fun. That is not my underrated <laughs> movie of the year, by the way. That's just a film I saw on my phone. Thank you for your questions, everybody. Uh, you can get in touch with us via Twitter, where we're at Empire Magazine. Please use the hashtag Empire Podcast. Uh, you can Facebook us as well, and you can find us on email. The address is podcast at empireonline.com. And this week we have a competition. Ooh. I know, I know. Uh, readers of the magazine will have noticed the astonishing Matthew McConaughey illustration in the new issue, for which one of our poor writers, Mr. Joe Cunningham, uh, totted up a number of minutes of bongos McConaughey spends with his shirt off in it across his uh, career, which meant he had to watch every single Matthew McConaughey film. <laughs> with a stopwatch and he had to go into Magic Mike ask for a single ticket to Magic Mike and go in with a stopwatch and you know I hope we paid him well for that no we didn't we paid him the usual freelance right (laughs) that's quite funny I know Um, the illustration was done by Bill McConkey and we have one poster version of it to give away and you can win it by answering the following ridiculously easy question McConaughey played himself in which Ben Stiller comedy that's it simple as that so to enter get in touch with us via the three methods I outlined earlier email Twitter, Facebook. Cheers. Okay, time to delve straight into the mixed bag that is this week's movie news. Helen, are you going to do some Joss Whedon thing? I am. I'm so okay. excited. Yeah. Joss Whedon is back, back, back for uh, Avengers 2. He's going to be putting it together. He's also going to be working on a Marvel TV series. We haven't got any details on that yet. Uh, but I think the, the Avengers 2 stuff is the good stuff. So he's going to be writing and directing. And, and the rumour also is that he's been doing a little bit of he did a bit of tweaking I think of the Captain America he script did. he did um, the, the fact that he's now been hired for this means that he could be tweaking the next several um, Marvel movies which is perhaps I think a good thing as a fan obviously of his writing tweaking maybe yeah overseeing possibly I, mm. I guess yeah, yeah. That'd be, you that'd know be, being involved with in that sort of a supervisory capacity that John Favreau got after Iron Man where he was executive producer in Avengers and Iron Man exactly. he's still involved to some extent with Iron Man 3 uh, obviously as an actor but also as executive producer uh, yes the Honestly, I'm delighted that Whedon's back for Avengers 2, which I imagine this country might actually be called the Avengers 2. I don't want to see Avengers Assemble 2. Sorry, forgive my ignorance on this, and I probably should know. So what order is all this happening in? We've got Iron Man 3 first, (laughs) then Captain America 2. It was Iron Man 3, then it's Thor 2. Thor 2, yeah. Or Thor the Dark World. Right. Then it's Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Right. And then after that, it's Guardians of the Galaxy, the new one that we've been, you know, kind of wondering. Yeah, that one really confuses me. That's a bit of a left-field choice. But I can Mm. kind of see why they're doing it, because... It might involve Thanos, who was the bad guy, introduced at the end of Avengers Assemble, and uh, that might lead in directly into Avengers 2. And then obviously there's Edgar Wright's Ant-Man, which is still knocking around, and he's done test footage now, so it's moving forward. And I think Got after it. he's done World's End, he'll do that, and mm. that'll probably be out 2015. Yeah, so Avengers 2 is looking at 2015, probably at the moment. Yeah. Got it. I imagine the way they might do it would be Avengers 2 leading into Ant-Man. Yeah, that's what I was... I was thinking yeah, there must be some kind of feed into that they'd be missing a trick if they didn't connect those two in some way yeah. which would be interesting you know, to see if we can get Edgar back in the pod booth again because presumably when he started writing Ant-Man with Joe Cornish all those years ago it was a very much a standalone project in the Marvel Universe and now 
it presumably will tie in with Avengers, maybe even lead off into the Avengers too, or yeah, it's going to be influenced by other projects. It's the same with Joss Whedon. Mm. How much does he tailor Avengers to according to what he wants to do and according to how much Marvel want him to include Thanos or maybe Rocket Raccoon from Guardians of the Galaxy. It's it, it's interesting how much. I think, you know, I think what's good though is have. that I mean about you know Marvel. What we've seen from Marvel so far, um, what we've seen from Kevin Feige and and the whole team there is that they seem keen to make story decisions that work overall, but also work for the individual film. And they they do seem to keep both parts of that puzzle kind of together and kind of balanced, which I think is really important. So hopefully, Joss Whedon will help with that as well so you've got to make the overall arc work but at the same time each film has to stand alone because if it doesn't frankly the whole structure could crumble and you know we get to Avengers 2 and nobody's excited about it anymore because we hated all the previous ones Yeah. you know so uh, I think it's a, it's a difficult balancing act and that's why I'm very excited that there's someone who is pr- a proven quality at difficult balancing acts you know doing it hooray yeah. I think I think Feige's the most important part the, the jigsaw though yeah. for Marvel oh he is he's, I mean, there he's was, there was important. there was talk when the, the head job at Disney came up last year that he was in the running for it and I was I was hoping that you know it'd be great for him obviously if he got it but I don't think he's interested in it for a start I think he wants to stay at Marvel and finish what he started but if he left Marvel he's got very good people in place here people like Jeremy Latcham and Stephen Broussard but if he left Marvel I think that the, the overarching brain behind everything would just not be there anymore I'm just mm-hmm. worried that the movies might suffer I just like that we're building a Marvel brain trust yes yes indeed um, so good news about Joss Whedon there uh, Ali what about you well my new story feeds on from that uh, a point I was going to make during your Avengers mm-hmm. piece to microphone was that what I'm worried about in the Justice League movie which is still kind of churning away is how is it going to work now that we know from Snyder that each character that's going to be in the Justice League movie won't be from previous films necessarily. He has confirmed that we will not see Henry Cavill yeah. in this. Uh, that's been confirmed. Uh, but the news about the Justice League is that uh, Ben Affleck's been earmarked for a potential helming of the Justice League movie. Of course, he's previously been involved with superheroes uh, in the past. Obviously, there's Daredevil, but there's also Hollywood Land, where he played... George Reeves. Yep. Uh, yeah. I, I think that's really smart. If I mean, I can imagine... I'm not sure whether he would do it, I don't know, but I can imagine Warner Brothers, they're really good at spotting their talent and mm. keeping their talent, you know, Clint Eastwood, Christopher Nolan. They predominantly make their movies for Warner Brothers. They get treated really well. They get allowed creative license. Mm. And Affleck, what's he, three movies in now and yeah. and just and astonishing. Three crashes each. Yeah. And I think what's been interesting also is in between, like straight after the town, he was being offered like three or four different Warner Brothers Well, he was offered projects, Man of Steel. All of which looked really interesting and good and chose Argo essentially out of a lineup. So, yeah. you know, they're, they're clearly are, they're, you know, they're laying out the red carpet a little bit for people that they think have the talent and, you know, getting good results in return. The, yeah. The one problem might be that he is also looking to uh, create a multi-film version of Stephen King's The Stand, and that's bubbling away as well. Whether that comes before or after, you presume they'd want Justice League out sooner rather than later, but who knows? Um, I'd like to see both, but The Stand I've wanted to see. Yeah. For, I yeah. mean, come on, Affleck in The Stand sounds great. Yeah, it'd be amazing. Absolutely amazing. Both very positive things, and of course everyone's going to be discussing who is going to play who then, if characters haven't been earmarked yet the conjecture can go wild I think for Aquaman it has to be Adrian Grenier because we know <laughs> in Entourage that in the first three days that was 116 million dollars so hey that was a lot not Michael Phelps I was thinking no, Michael, no Phelps. Michael Phelps <laughs> yeah. 
he could do it. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm surprised, honestly, that they're still going down this this path of having two different Superman, uh, Superman, I guess, or mm. two different Batman, and uh, and so on. Um, but we'll we'll see how it goes. I would I would imagine the Marvel model would be a good model to follow, but presumably they don't want to do that in case they're they're, they're seen as copiers and cheaters. Uh, but yeah, Affleck doing that that'd be that'd be that'd be great. But it'd be the biggest film of his career uh, as a director to date. Um, but he's definitely like you say three for three yeah I, I think he's a huge yeah we I think we dubbed him in our fairly clunky way but the new Eastwood but I think it's not far off the mark I just think he's got a real eye a real ear and he seems to be picking the right thing so I guess I guess it will come down to the script I, I don't know and he's often stars in his own movie so will he be part of a justice <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Flash? no I somehow yeah I don't I don't see it maybe 10 years ago who knows uh, and Mark what have you got well, I'm kind of... It's weird. I'm getting bored of Sin City 2 stories. The Sin City 2 stories <laughs> since so. 1974 or something. I can't remember. But of all the Sin City 2 stories, the, the Mickey Rourke story, which I still, as far as I'm aware, is still just a rumour that he may come back. That, to me, is really exciting. I, I think Mickey Rourke should be in every movie ever made. <laughs> um, I think The Expendables 2, I have not seen it, but it certainly won't be as good as the first one, which was pretty appalling. But it won't be as good as the first one because there's no Mickey Rourke in it. Uh, I think he's a genius. I, um, I had the privilege once of spending an evening with Mickey Rourke, um, and I loved it. You would have been there, Chris. It was at the London Film Festival about three years ago, I guess, for The Wrestler. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just loved it. He just is so... Not as a sort of anti-establishment. We were there at the bar, and there was Darren Aronofsky, and he was wearing this quite pretentious of scarf, and everyone was fawning around him, going, "Oh, Mr. Aronofsky, we love what you did with this," and blah 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 blah. And Mickey Rourke comes bowling up with half a half-drunk bottle of Jack Daniels and looks at Aronofsky's scarf, and he goes, "Who the fuck have you come out of, Harry fucking Potter?" And just wandered <laughs> off again, and no one could find him for the rest of the night. And then we all went to the after party. And there was this really sexy girl there in these amazing sort of thigh-high boots. And Mickey Rourke, God love it. I mean, he's got you know, a face like a melted handbag. And he came strolling up to this girl and just said, hey, darling, you, me and those boots have got a date in my room. And off she went with him. And I thought, <laughs> you know what? I like you, Mickey Rourke. <laughs> so if Cincy 2 does happen, and if I don't nod off with any more Cincy 2 stories, then heaven hope Mickey Rourke is in it he's a legend wow. so that's, that, that's legend. one set that you're going to be bagging yourself Ab- absolutely <laughs> only if Mickey Rourke or Carla Gugino if they're both in it I'm there tomorrow <laughs> fair enough just to show the, uh, the, the different levels of the empire while you were at an after party for Mickey Rourke that night I was upstairs doing a video blog so with Sam Toy in the freezing cold <laughs> it was very uh, good though yeah, yeah I'm sure it the turned out well yeah, no, <laughs> I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad I'm glad for you um, okay after that it's refuse time No interview this week. We're keeping our power to dry for a directorial double whammy next week. Uh, so we're going to head on to the reviews. Unusually, there are two big films to discuss this week, with film companies welcoming the end of the Olympics by finally releasing their wares on Monday, right after the Olympics finishes. Monday? I know. On Monday. Can you believe it? Uh, we've got two biggies coming our way. So let's start with our recent cover movie, The Bourne Legacy, in which Jeremy Renner, and not Jeremy Renier, the Belgian actor, uh, steps into Matt Damon's shoes. There is an actor called Jeremy Renier. It's amazing. Um, uh, Although he's not playing Jason Bourne. Neither Renner or Renier are playing Jason Bourne. Can't be clearer about that. Uh, So what do we make of this? Helen. 
Well, um, I think it's a bit of a mixed bag, to be honest. I think they did some things uh, right and very much tried to keep the Bourne sort of aesthetic going. And some things just felt very, very generic as a result. Um, so the, the setup this time, uh, Jeremy Renner is Aaron Cross, who is another government agent as part of a you know top secret uh, program. He's in a program called Outcome. But yeah, yeah. There, was, there was two um, different programs. Yeah. Okay, yes. Right. So then, that. Okay. Um, and uh, we basically meet him just as in a sort of parallel story, which we don't see on screen because we already have. Mm-hmm. Um, Bourne is rocking up in New York and causing all sorts of consternation among the American super top secret military and civilian establishment. So they're basically trying to cover their tracks, which means taking out everybody who knows anything because apparently that's an efficient way to do business. And um, <laughs> Rather than just simply relocating them? Or, or just saying, yeah. by the way, you've got this non-disclosure contract. Remember that. Eh? Yes. And uh, that? sending them on their way. No, so they decide to close everything down, which results in a, a bit of chaos. Um, in the middle of all this, Aaron Cross is trying to get his medication, which he needs from a scientist who's played by Rachel Weisz. Okay, because he is addicted to chems. This outcome program yeah, puts the, the agents out. on some sort of genetically modified super soldier type, type pills. Outcome is the next step up from Treadstone. And so the Treadstone agents weren't on chems. It was, it, it's an attempt to make Cross like better than Bourne. Mm. And then later on, there are more agents who are better than Cross. And so it just I, I just wonder where it ends, how many programs, secret programs the CIA have, how many guys they have just waiting on standby. And why aren't they entered in the Olympics, for God's sake? Because they'd be amazing. They'd just win everything in like four seconds flat. Um, I, I thought this was solid enough, um, decent, written and directed by Tony Gilroy, whose fingerprints have been all over the scripts of the, uh, the previous three movies. And he's very much following the Paul Greengrass stylistic template. Although, as Jason Isaac said in the podcast a couple of weeks ago, uh, a lot of people try and ape Paul Greengrass' style without really understanding what it is that makes his style so unique, which is that he'll leave the camera running for 10, 20 minutes and try and find the truth in the scene. It's not just by shaking the camera around a bit. Um, I think Gilroy goes down the shaky cam route a little too much of this one. But Renner's fine. It's okay. Mm. My problem with the movie, especially in the first half hour, is that there are constant reminders that there's a better movie <laughs> happening just outside the uh, the boundaries of this world. There are constant references Jason Bourne. And we see very, very brief glimpses of uh, John Allen and David Strathairn and even Paddy Considine. And uh, there's people people constantly going, Bourne's in New York. Jason Bourne's in New York. Shut it down. Shut it down. And you just go, I want to see that film. I have, but I want to see that film again. It's like the scene in um, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull where Jim Robinson from Neighbours and the janitor from Scrubs pop in to interrogate Indy and Jim Robinson starts talking about how he and Indy had a massive great adventures in World War II and you're sitting there going I'd like to see that film please <laughs> rather, than, rather than the one I'm watching right now uh, and that's my problem with it and then once it kicks into gear because it takes a long time mm, to kick it into really gear does. Uh, it takes about an hour before uh, Renner and, and Vice are even on screen together I think um, Len is fine Len, Len the action's okay he does all the kicky punchy motorbikey stuff but it all feels like the Bourne movies had a car chase now you have to have a car chase now yeah. it had a bit where he killed a guy with a, a magazine and then a book so now he has to kill him with something else that's it's quite unusual so it feels like it's ticking off boxes in a way that I might not have expected what's, what's Renner like? He's he's he's, he's okay. Good. He's okay. Yeah, he's, he's good. Fine. I, I, the problem is, is that we're comparing him to Matt Damon, who is some kind of charisma distribution service that just walks around lighting up the screen. And <laughs> charisma. Renner, he's just 
he's great, but he hasn't, I think, been established yet. I don't think yeah. he feels a little quite unsure of himself. But then, to Matt in Damon. the first in the first Bourne movie, like Matt Damon was kind of all washed up mm. again, almost. So after yeah, it was his comeback misses, film. It was in kind many of a comeback, ways, yeah. yeah. So I, I, I'm not so worried about that. What annoyed me more is kind of little bits of plot that were left, kind of hanging characters that were introduced and then sort of squandered to no purpose whereas you know characters that you didn't really care about then came and did something really important whereas it felt like if you'd kept that one character from the bit that you made us care about him then that this scene might have been better yeah. later on you it know? almost feels like this, we could do with a spoiler podcast to discuss some of, almost, the, uh, yeah. some of the last uh, uh, last act elements I've, I've, uh, but I've got a couple of general points it's quite long uh, I think people should be aware of that I also think that if people love the Bourne trilogy and I certainly do I think watching this won't make you dislike the Bourne trilogy. No, I often find with these forequels that you're going, oh, and that kind of ruins that for me. This is fine. This kind of does it justice in its own way. Uh, also, the ending, as you'll see in the trailer, there's lots of kind of motorbike, motocross fun times. And it does feel a little bit like, as Nick points out last night when we were watching it, um, it feels like kind of a late 90s Bond movie. Uh, it, it feels a little bit, you know, Pierce Brosnan at times we kind of have seen these stunts before not that they aren't good they just feel a little bit tired it's fine it's made by assured hands so it's, yeah. it's not terrible it's just I would I would say it's the, the least satisfying of, of the quadrilogy I would sure. too if you, if you want to put it that way uh, the official Empire Review written by Lord Ian Nathan uh, will be up he's been promoted to Lord oh did you not get the memo I, I didn't. No. I know, it's amazing. I uh, trumpets, but... That will be up on the Empire website, uh, hopefully by the time you hear this, so go and check it out. Uh, and next up is the 13th film from the behemoth that is Disney Pixar. It's Brave, uh, and it's full of firsts. It's got their first female lead, it's their first historical movie, it's their first film set in Bonnie, Scotland. Uh, thankfully, they've already had their first misfire with last year's Underwhelming Cars 2. Uh, so does Brave see them make a return to form? I thought it was good. Uh, I thought I think we gave it four stars. I thought it was yeah, there or thereabouts. I, I it, it looks amazing. Uh, I thought the characters were really good. I just thought it was a bit flat in the middle. It mm-hmm. didn't sort of seem to have any. It was just it's a really one dimensional plot. There's no there is there are literally no subplots that I can remember at all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was also but it was a lot better than I. I remember seeing some. some we I think a lot of us saw some early footage, and I was kind of worried for it in as much as it seemed very. It was it's a mother daughter relationship, which is really interesting. But I wondered whether it would make it whether it would kind of skew away from boys in that way. And actually, I don't think it does at all. I think it's really satisfying in in that way as well. But I just kind of wanted a bit more for it. It just didn't seem it was beautiful, really entertaining, but it just didn't have that extra dimension to me. I I would agree. I think uh, with all of that, pretty much. But I think the the problem for me was a little bit with the tone. It felt really mixed up tonally because you've got this you know proper Pixar you know emotional smart um, Mm. well written central story Um, and then the bits around the edge are like sort of DreamWorks level comedy routines I mean the Scottish Lords and stuff and their scenes so take us through the plot okay well um, basically so uh, our heroine is Merida who's voiced by Kelly MacDonald and she is a Scottish princess um, in Uh, medieval Scotland that never quite existed but close enough Um, and she's 15 and her uh, has a little bit of problems with her parents you know she she wants to be out there you know 
being an action woman like her dad um, obviously he's an action man um, and her mum wants her to be a proper princess and is setting up in fact to get her married and has invited three of the lords of the land with their sons to come and compete for Merida's hand Merida's having none of this which leads to some big arguments which leads to her going off in a huff which leads to the plot of the film it is one of those films where you can't quite describe what really happens to it or we can't even now discuss the bits that happen no halfway through because yeah. that's no. a big reveal and in many ways this is a little bit of a 45 degree turn as the plot goes along um but it works it's mm. it's you know it, it you know leans a lot on the kind of mystical magical element of uh, scottish myth mm-hmm. uh, so bear that in mind before you walk in well, I found this actually not as affecting as, as Up but I felt emotionally it had a, a similar kick to Up I think you mentioned it's a mother-daughter story and I think for anyone it's not, it's not about loss or death necessarily but I think for anyone who's lost a parent especially a mother this movie will be very affecting it's, it's, it certainly goes along those lines I know what you mean Chris I, I thought there's that there is a I was kind of losing a bit of interest with it and then there's that amazing scene with the mum and the daughter in the in the um, sort of big uh, what's it called courtyard bit. Okay. Yeah. With the with the sort of looking at each other and kind of and communicating via eye movements and signs and stuff. And I, I that proper major cry stuff. I, mm. thought, I thought that was great, and it yeah. kind of really picked up from that moment. On. It was just that middle bit. It kind of lagged a bit for me. Yeah, I think this this is one of those uh, rare projects that Pixar has actually been quite troubled. It started out as the Bear and the Bow with a, a different director, Brenda Chapman. And uh, the thing about Pixar is they can actually be quite ruthless when it comes to directors. Who, mm, very much so. Uh, they it's, have had in the past remove people. It's the central kind of paradox of the studio. They they talk about it being very much a director's medium, and it's the director who leads the project and the director who sh- shepherds the project the whole way through. Um, and they expect their projects to originate with their directors. Um, but at the same time, if something isn't working and if the trust as a whole doesn't like it then off with their heads and somebody else takes it indeed uh, but there, we, we all liked Brave and we gave it four stars so do check it out it's probably the film of the week I'd imagine also out this week uh, very very quickly uh, released today Friday is Fernando Morelish's globetrotting all-star drama 360 what do we make of this one this one I didn't like so much to be honest um, it's a really really interesting idea and it's an ensemble um, globe-spanning drama, basically, about how we deal with love, sex, and sort of everything in between, relationships of all kinds. So you've got the sort of the the cheating spouse, you've got the, you know, travelling businessman, you've got prostitutes, you've got pimps, you've got gangsters. Sounds great. Hey. It's like your life comes in. <laughs> it's Tuesday, that is. Recovering alcoholics, paroled prisoners, you know, in This is on Kelly's. And, yeah, and I mean, an incredible cast, you know, uh, Rachel Vice is in there again her second time in a week um, she's also in Brave as a tree <laughs> uh, Jude Law's in there Anthony Hopkins Moritz Blaibtrau, um lots of great actors from all over the world um, but it's one of these things I think the problem with, with a lot of ensemble films and particularly with this one is that there's bits that you like and you're quite happy to watch and, and stick with and then they keep you know turning away to bits that you don't care about as much and it was kind of one of those I really liked Anthony Hopkins in this is terrific it's a really personal thing for him and we had um, Fernando Moreos in the studio talking about how um, Hopkins drew from his own life for one, one scene in particular and that scene is astonishing it's an absolutely great great scene but nothing else quite lives up to that. And I think that a lot of the film feels like they thought this would be a clever idea to write about this angle or write about that angle, but it, it doesn't quite say anything for me. That's a shame. 
I think my, my main problem with it, I haven't seen it yet, is that I haven't seen the first 359, so <laughs> I'm worried I may not be up to speed with the characters. Well, obviously you'll miss out on a lot, but... Damn it, that's a shame. Fortunately, I'd seen 300, so I kind of knew basically where we were. <laughs> I, I echo Helen's sentiments there. His stuff, occasionally to enjoy, I like Ben Foster. He has a very difficult role and he plays it, mm. you know, within the inch of his life, but... It's just jumbled and a little bit messy, and all the different stitches together, or each little, you know, moment, just don't quite work. It's an admirable effort, but really, it doesn't kind of work as a whole. Uh, and there's a whole glut of movies to tempt you back in the multiplexes beyond the three we've discussed, including Get Ready for This, Step Up for Miami Heat. Helen, you've seen this one. Enough with performance art. It's time for protest art. Really? Yeah, seriously. Otherwise, exactly like all the other Step Up films. <sighs> Good grief. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, speaking of protest art, that's actually a nice segue. Oh, yes, uh, there's also the documentary I Weiwei, uh, Never Sorry. Uh, Yo Nesbo's Jackpot is also out. Uh, and The Forgiveness of Blood, Joshua Marston's follow-up to the excellent Maria Full of Grace. Uh, so something for everybody, pretty much, I'd I imagine. So. Uh, and that is it from this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun, where we'll be discussing The Expendables Two, and we'll be joined by not one but two directors with Shadow Dancers James Marsh and Total Recall's Len Wiseman who's one of our fit directors Helen if we ever get around to doing we that we must write that we list we must do that he is uh, fit yeah he's massively yeah. yeah fair play yeah well done Len Wiseman <laughs> can I nominate uh, Catherine Bigelow she's on the yeah, list she's on the Excellent. list she's on the list uh, anyway, anyone else you want to stick in there Woody Allen <laughs> for he his brain he was on the long list <laughs> the very long list has to be said uh, until then all that remains for me is to say fairly well to Helen bye bye and Ali bye bye and leave an apple in the desk of Mark <laughs> let's, talk about, let's talk about the pay rise <laughs> done done legally binding alright well that was the conversation damn it <laughs> see you next week <laughs>